0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Dear Holy Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that we've not come to hear from a person, but God, we've come to hear from you. God, I pray this morning, Lord, in, in this place, God, we might encounter you God, we might hear from your Holy Spirit, God, that that each and every single one of us will not leave changed from where we find ourselves now. God, we look forward to what you're going to do in the midst. God, as we gather around your word, God, we thank you for the Suns. We thank you for Brisbane. God, we thank you for uh, all of the AFL teams that have won. But God, most of all, we thank you for Melbourne Storm that they won again. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, I know. Look, I'm an ex-Victorian, but I'm also now a Queenslander, and most of our campus goes for NRL. So I'll go, I'll try, I was trying to cover all bases there, and, uh, and Essendon plays this afternoon. That is my old AFL team, but it's great to be in church. And you know what? Thank you for having me. Uh, with, as, as, as Susan said, I'm the campus pastor from our Redlands camp, uh, from our Lo- not Redlands campus, from our Logan campus. I was excited about being here, uh, but let's jump into this this morning, shall we? Hey, uh, we have started this series called A Better Story. You see, I don't know about you, but I love stories. I love reading stories to my three kids. I love listening to stories and I love watching stories because stories are captivating, stories are memorable, and stories are powerful. Now, for those who have, of you who I haven't had the privilege of meeting, as Susan said, my name's Dave Moore. I'm the campus pastor at Logan, not Redlands. Uh, I've been married 18 years to my wife, Shadi. We have three kids, Allegra, who's 14, Ruben, who's 12, and Jude, who's 7. Uh, and so that's a little bit of our family. Uh, we started our campus two years ago, or just over two years ago. We started with 44 people who said, God, we are all in to see what you will do with 44 people who are all in. You know, we, we, we live in a city and we've been spoken about our church and about our city so many times that it's a city where you can't grow a significant sized church. It's a, it's a city where you can't grow a healthy church. It's a city where you can't find and see people who don't yet know Jesus come to know Jesus but in the last just over two and a half years, gathered in our campus this morning, is every week is nearly 250 people. We're a, multi, we're a multi-generational church. The eldest uh, gentleman in our church is 94 years old, and we've had two babies born in the last two weeks in our church, and we've got everyone in between. We're a church where I gather in front of a group of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every single Sunday. But most of all, I stand in front of a church where in just over the last two and a half years, we've seen 103 adults give their lives to Jesus in our service on a Sunday. And, and God has not done. And, and you know what? God has not done with, with Redlands. Redlands. And I feel as I was praying and as I was just seeking God this week about you and about our service this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit continually prompting me that He's not done with you. And I don't care who you are and where you're from and how you found yourself coming to church this morning. I want you to know that there is a God in heaven who looks down on you this morning. And He looks down on you with a loving face towards you and He says, I'm not done with you. And I'm not done with you. And I'm not done with you. But we we live in a world, don't we? We live in a world where we're created to and invited to create our our own stories, our own narratives based on our own personal curated truths. I mean, we live in a world that is hyper individualistic, you know, where, where everything is about me, my, and I, and it's for my acceptance and, and my joy and my pleasure. You know, we live in a world where everything is about me, and sometimes you, but mostly about me. You know, we live in a world that is so focused on ourselves, but all we need to do You know, as we just heard, you know, all we need to do is look in the social media and the news and we see around our world and and we see the same things time and time again. That this secular story of human hope is failing. But God invites us. God invites us into the greatest story ever told. You see, it's a different story, it's, it's a particular story, it's a distinct kind of story. So different from what the world is trying to sell and trying to tell. It's a great story, it's a wonderful story, it's a story of sacrifice and it's a story of redemption. And then last week as we launched this series, we spent some time looking at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and we discovered that each and every single one of us are created on purpose. For a purpose. So rather than being created for autonomy and consumption and individualism, we were created for a purpose. And that purpose is for community with God and community with one another. And that is the purpose that God has designed us for, because we were created in his own image. But unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not where the story is ends. In that kind of that great moment we go, yeah, this is what God's done for us all. That's not where the story ends. See, God creates the heaven and the earth and the cockroaches and the animals and the, the, the sunsets and the sunrise and the everything else. He creates all of these interesting and wonderful things. You know, and, and then all of a sudden, he comes Adam and Eve. You know, the piece of resistance is He creates humanity. He creates us. He creates Adam and Eve. He says, in that moment, He says, all right, well, okay, Adam and Eve, this is all of yours. I just ask one thing from you. One thing and one thing alone. And that's, don't touch the apples. That's, that's you know, Don't eat for the tree of good and evil. And so what does Adam and Eve do? You know, when we tell our kids, you know, don't touch the thing. You know, how long is it before they touch the thing? You know, it's like, don't touch it. And then they're like this. Ah. You know, and all of a sudden we find Adam and Eve reach out And they eat the apple. So this morning, if you've got your Bibles with us, we're going to open up to Genesis chapter 3. If it's of any help, it's page 3 in my Bible. So it's kind of at the start. Uh, And we're going to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And it says this. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree that was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was there with her and he ate it. Then their eyes, then then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse eight. Then the man said to his wife, when he heard the sound, sorry, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. Have you ever been busted? Have you ever been busted doing something that you know you shouldn't do, but you find yourself doing this? Ah, you know, I was talking to some friends, some really good friends of ours uh, last week. And, and she was telling me a story about a situation that had just happened that morning. She, uh, Callie was on her way out to go to work and she opened the garage door, went around the back of her car to jump in the driver's seat. And as she walked past the back of the door, there was something on the back of the door that wasn't quite on the back of the door just not that long prior and so she called out her husband, Adam, and, and her two boys and said, boys, can you just go outside for a moment? So they came out to the car and then they stood, you know, admiring the back of mum's car and said, and so, so Callie goes, kids, if you see something different about my car, and they're looking going, oh, I don't really know. And then and, and he said, you know what, Emmett, did you do anything to mum's car? And he goes, no, mummy, I did nothing to your car. <laughs> Emmett's five. Okay, let me just... Are you sure you didn't do anything to mummy's car, Emmett? No, mummy, I didn't do anything to your car. Yeah, but Emmett, isn't, isn't that your name in the back of mummy's car? E-M-M backwards, E-double-T with a bonus E? Yes, mummy. So who did it then, Emmett? And he looks, at, he looks at Callie in the eyes. I just want to get the words right. He goes... No, mummy, it wasn't me. It must have been someone that knows me really well. (laughs) Have you ever been busted? I mean, imagine in this story, Adam and Eve. Imagine finding yourselves in that moment where you know that you've just been busted, when you know that you've just blown it, when you know that you've just sinned, that you know everything changes from that moment on. Imagine, like, put yourselves in their shoes. What are you feeling? How are you reacting? They realized that they've sinned. See, in a culture today, the idea, the concept of, personal sin is, is often actually an offensive idea and concept. You see, in our society, that we recognize and and they look at the fact that the underlying objection to this belief is that we're all born innocent and whole. And that this disorder, this disease, this brokenness is actually due to external forces and dangerous things that are coming against us. In other words, they're saying, it's not my fault. No, mommy, it wasn't me. You know, we we live in a society that tells a story that if there's anything that robs us of our happiness, of our self-esteem, the things that we deserved, that whether it's because of our families or our cultural traditions or religious restrictions or or binding commitments, then, then it's actually all of their fault and they're to blame, not me, because, Mommy, I didn't do it. See, Genesis, we see... That as soon as Adam and Eve are busted by God for eating the apple, the first thing that they do is they begin to blame. You know, Adam and Eve begin to look at each other and go, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault, no, it's your fault. And, and all of a sudden then they begin to be blame the snake. Well, it's not your fault, it's not your it's the snake, you know, and all of a sudden they begin to look for blame and passing blame everywhere because we live in a society that's a blame society, don't we? I mean, we all, we all love to shift the blame. Yeah, I didn't actually, you know, I got fired from work and it wasn't my fault because the boss, well, the boss didn't quite articulate the reason that, like, uh, you know, what I wasn't allowed to take and what I was allowed to take. And so I pinched a bunch of stuff from work. And because I pinched the stuff from work, I got fired. But it wasn't my fault. I mean, he just didn't tell me I wasn't allowed to take the stuff. You know, we go, oh, you know, I didn't do well in school, Bill, because like when they articulated the fact that we need to be well behaved, I thought well behavior was lighting fireworks at school. And I thought that it'd be great idea. It'd be entertaining for everyone and for me. And I thought it was great idea. So I went to the principal's office and he said, David, that was a really bad idea. I thought it was a really great idea. And it's all his fault because actually he didn't tell me in the list of things that we the do's and the don'ts of things that I'm not allowed to do at school, that fireworks is not permitted at school. And so it's not my fault, it's their fault. And we live in a world that loves to pass the buck loves to point and blame someone else, Lives the shift, the focus of blame and error off ourselves and on to anyone and to everyone else. You See, we don't always love to take responsibilities for our actions. You see, it's, isn't it so much nicer, easier, more comfortable? Isn't, isn't it so more, much more convenient and pleasurable to, to pass the buck to blame someone else? But in contrast, we read controversially in the Bible that every person is responsible for our own sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that God establishes and wants you to realize and me to realize that, that my brokenness and my mistakes and my sin and my junk and my messed up moments and the things that I've done wrong are actually my fault and not someone else's fault. And it says that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. See, to understand what sin is and who is responsible for sin is the first step towards freedom. And this is is how we're invited into this better story that, that God offers each and every one of us, is to acknowledge the sin and the depth of the sin and its ramifications is to acknowledge the depth of value that God places on a relationship with us. See, sin is not a devaluing concept that deprives us of self-esteem. It's exactly the opposite. It's to embrace the fact that we've all messed up, that we've all stuffed up, that we've all screwed up, we've all done all of these things wrong. And we've lost something that's meaningful and of intrinsic value and worth. And that it, it is to take responsibility for ourselves, for our own actions. See, if we're going to find a better story, first we need to accept what is lost. See, think about it for a moment. What's your favorite movie? You know, I love the Fast and the Furious. There's like 37 different movies and there's more coming out. You know, like the original one, that's the best. But, you know, like I love different movies. You know, you think about your favorite movie. Every movie has failure, tragedy, and loss in it, don't they? Oh, I mean, you think about it. Think about your favorite movie, Bambi, you know, Someone dies in Bambi. Like, it's failure, tragedy, and loss. It's been a while since i watched Bambi. You, know, you see, failure, tragedy, and loss is at the heartbeat of every story. And it's true that failure, tragedy, loss, only when we have these things is when re- true redemption is possible. Author and pastor Mark Sayers puts it like this. Every renewal and revival begins with people who reach such a moment, who truly come to the end of themselves, discovering the depth of their own sin and the immensity of a holy God who is intent on removing rebellion, evil, and ill from the world. Yet who sent his son to die upon a cross? to invite us to be on his side of remaking the world. See, I've come here all the way from our Logan campus to tell each and every one of you this, this morning, that God has a new day for you. That there is still a story that he's still writing for you. There's a story that he's writing for me. And that story is not defined by our sin. That story is not defined by my brokenness and your brokenness. That, that story is not defined by the mistakes and the, and the guilt and the shame of our past. And this is where we come back to. Verse 8 and 9 in Genesis chapter 3. And it says, And the, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, while were walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? Quick question. Does God know what they've done? Does God know where they are? So now that we've established that God already knows what they've done, you know, the omnipresent, the God that sees and knows all. You know, God, God already knows what they've done and God is not kind of like, oh, where are they? You know, he, he's, he knows what they've done and he knows where they are. He doesn't, what, what blows my mind is that he doesn't come angry with his cranky pants on, kicking the dirt as he's trying to find Adam and even going, guys, I can't believe what you've done. I mean, seriously, you've got everything. I mean, you said one tree, don't touch the apple. I mean, everything else is yours and I cannot believe I'm so shocked that you blew it. Like, I cannot believe what you've done. Do you understand how annoyed, angry and frustrated? In fact, do you understand right now the decision that you made right now by choosing an idiot Apple. 2,021 years later, there's going to be a whole lot of people gathered at Gateway Redlands and they're going to live the consequences of the decision that you made. Like, God doesn't come ranting and raving like a lunatic. God doesn't come to belittle. God doesn't come yelling and screaming that you've blown it. And yet, that's how Adam and Eve felt. Verse 10 goes on to say, And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. So Adam and Eve had blown it. And what I find so encouraging is that nothing has changed. And you blow it, and, and the first thing they try and do is they, put, they try and hide and, and and conceal themselves. See, for a long period of time, I I had an addiction to pornography. When when I was when I was a teenager, I just remember dabbling in it, and I remember you know going through my late teenage years, coming to faith, and going, "Well, that'll fix it." And then I remember getting married and go, "Well, that'll fix it," because now I'm allowed to do stuff, and and so that you know I I knew that I. I knew or at least I thought that that would begin to fix it. And yet it didn't fix it. And I, and I remember the day when I was... Reading Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, you know, bring into light those things that have been hidden and God is faithful and God will heal and God will take the burdens. And I remember as I began to read that, as I began to sit on my bed, on the corner of my bed, racked with guilt and shame, trying to hide stuff from my life and pretend it wasn't there. I remember in that moment as I read those words, I remember coming to Jesus and confessing and going, God, I, God, I can't carry this anymore. God, I can't hide this anymore. God, I'm racked with guilt and shame of the things that I've done and seen. And, and God, if you, if, you can, if you can take these things, God, I confess, I give them to you. And I remember in those moments, I remember that moment that it was like a backpack, like a, a weight began to shift off my shoulders. And I remember I I realized that God loved me and that He loved me even when He knew that I would make mistakes and that He began to forgive and to set free. Church doesn't mean that it was all been warm and fuzzy from that moment on. It's still something that I've got to check in my life, but it's been something that I've been set free from. And you know what I find? What I find so amazing about the story of Adam and Eve, what is so incredibly beautiful is that Adam and Eve sin and yet God goes in search of them. That he doesn't sit there and point an accusing finger and go, how dare you, you wicked, slimy human beings. But in the midst of their brokenness, Jesus comes looking. God comes looking for them. What we find here and the words that we read, you know, when when, when God says, Where are you? are the not actual literal meaning of of that phrase. It's been the words that's been translated from Hebrew into English, but the actual real meaning isn't that God doesn't know where they are, doesn't know what they've done. But actually, it's a term that refers to inviting someone back into relationship, back into connection. Again, You see, when God comes looking for them and he comes and he says, where are you? He knows exactly where they are. And yet what he does in that moment is he comes to them and says, what I want from you is I want that level of connection. I want that level of a relationship again because I know that something's been seven and something has got in the way. And yet what I'm doing in this moment is I'm coming to you to say, I want you back. I'll come looking for you. In fact, I'll come looking for you wherever you go. I'll come looking for you whatever you do. And Adam and Eve try to cover up their sin. But God calls to uncover and to discover them because God's got a better story. It's a story of discovery. It's a story of grace. It's a story that says that you don't have to change before you go to God. But going to God is what changes you. And what I find so amazing about God is that God doesn't give up on someone like me. And He doesn't give up on someone like you. But He goes In search, he goes looking and hunting to discover where you are. And he invites you and I back into a relationship with him. You see, in all old church, this is the good news. Someone somewhere has to pay the price for a sin. See, Adam and Eve sinned. But in verse 21, it goes on to say, the Lord made a garment of skin for Adam and his wife, and he covered them. See, God wasn't caught off guard by what they did. God's not caught off guard by what you do. You know, God wasn't shocked by 2020, the year of a weird word that we call COVID. That God wasn't caught off God, by the things and the wrestles that we all go through and the wrestles that we all have. You know, I love the fact that very, from the very beginning of the creation of the world, that God had a rescue plan, that God had another way, that God wanted to hint in, in obvious ways and not so obvious ways, that the, He had a plan of redemption, that He had a plan where He was calling His people back to Him. And I love the fact that as we look through the Old Testament, we see time and time again, God hinting in obvious ways and not so obvious ways. You know the God would talk to a prophet and he'd give him prophecies about the the coming messiah that would come and and the, the the one called Jesus would die on a cross and he would raise three days later and he would die so that we would be clean again you know there, there was obvious ways like in a in a when, when the, the Jews were in exile with the Egyptians and that the God said, what I want you to do is I want you to kill the blood of a lamb and I want you to, to paint it over the door frames of your household so that, that you would be saved. And yet here we read later down the track that all the prophecies and, and that Jesus would be called the son, the lamb of God, the one whose blood would be spilled at the, at the cross of Calvary for us. And then I remember Sitting one day, discovering that Jesus has been hinting and telling and declaring that there was gonna be a better way from the beginning of creation. And that the story doesn't end in death and separation from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Evil, that Garden of Eden. But that God had a better story for you and for I. See, I don't know if you know, but your name has a meaning. My name. My name, the meaning of my name, David, means beloved. And, and, and as I was reading through one day, you know, what I find interesting is that throughout the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, you know, we read time and time again would God would come to a, a mum and a dad, and He would say, "You know what? I want you to. do? I want you to name your kids, you know, or your your, da- your son and daughter," and He would name their children. And that's kind of a weird concept for us because. I don't know about you, but God didn't come into my lounge room and and go, you know what, what I want you to do is I want you to name your son Reuben, you know, or Jude or whatever it might be. And so I was reading through these kind of these different names and I I was thinking through, I wonder what each of the names meant. And I discovered and I realized this. So what I want to do this morning as we get ready to close the service is we're going to look at the first 10 sons in the Bible. The first son was Adam. Adam. And then there was Seth, and there was Enosh, and Canaan, and Machael, because that's got a ch in it. It's a bit of fun. And then you got Jared, and Enoch, and Methuselah, and Lamech, and Noah. And you're kind of going, that's great, Dave. It's really good names. I probably won't name my kids any of those, maybe some of them. Uh, But but the meanings of those names are pretty incredible. See, Adam, Adam's name means man. And Seth, with his name, means appointed. And then Enosh, his name means a mortal man. And then Canaan, well, his name means sorrow is born. It's probably not the greatest meaning of a name that you give to your loved son, you know, when he finds that one out when he goes to school. And anyway. Uh, and, and, then, and then you've got Machael, and his name means the glory of God. And then you've got Jared, you've got, his name means shall come down. And you've got Enoch. You know, not Enosh, but Enoch, a different one. And his name means instructing that. And then you've got Methuselah. Now, I don't know about you, but I just think Methuselah is such a cool name. Like, it just sounds awesome. There's something, like, really cool about it. Unfortunately, his name meaning is not quite as equally as cool. And his name means his death shall bring. And then you've got Lamech, and his name means those in despair. And then there's Noah. We probably, many of us know, Noah. Well, his name's kind of got a cool name, and it means comfort and rest. And, and we go... That's awesome, Dave. But I don't know if you've found, but it's funny how our lives out of context and the things that we go through out of context don't always amount to much. But have you ever noticed and look back in your life and you see when, when something is in context, there's something powerful behind it. And so what I want to do is we're just going to read through the meanings of the names. Adam, man is appointed mortal man, sorrow is born pause there because it's a little bit clunky. In other words, let me translate it into Queenslander. It means this. Man was created. When Man was created mortal. And we blew it. We sinned. We stuffed up. So that's the first part. Man is appointed mortal man of sorrow is born. Now remember, remember how God always has a plan? Let me just Rattle through some names that God kind of named, some parents to name their kids. Remember, out of context doesn't mean much, but then we put it all in context, back together, and this is what God had been preparing from the beginning of time. Machael's name means, the glory of God shall come down, instructing that His death shall bring those in despair comfort and rest that's what God had been preparing from the very beginning of creation. He knew we'd blew it. He'd know we'd mess up. And yet God wanted us to know. God wanted us to know in obvious ways and not so obvious ways that He has a plan. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your kids. He's got a plan for this church. And that the glory of God shall come down, instructing that His death shall bring those in despair, comfort and rest. Sound a little bit like what Jesus came to do. And a few thousand years later, See God always there was a plan to cover our sin. And this, the plan was the sacrifice of His Son. See, God has a better plan for our stories. He has got a better plan for us. And, it, and But somewhere along the line, someone, somewhere, somehow has to pay the price for our freedom, for our forgiveness. And although God is a loving God who deeply and desperately loves you and loves me, He is also a just God. See, Nothing in life is for free, is it? God, God had a, God has a better story. And the story is that Jesus, the Son of God, would take your sin, my sin, the, the, the chunk, the guilt, the shame that we carry, and He would take it to the cross for us. Not because He had to, but because He wanted because He wants to. The 15th of April 2019 at 6.30pm fire broke out in the, the roof of the, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. By the times the, the, the flames were extinguished and the building's sphere had collapsed to the roof of the building devastating the building. As this happened Photos like this began to fly across news and social media feeds all around the world as the Catholic cathedral began to burn. But as the smoke began to clear, photos began to emerge from within the burnt-out building. Photos like this. See, in the midst of the darkness and the chaos, the cross still stands. Today, the cross still stands. Not for death and destruction, but it's, a, it's not just a sign of death and destruction, the burned down building, but the cross is a sign of hope. Sin, just like the Notre Dame Cathedral, sin and destruction rip through our lives and burn things down. But one thing remains. One thing remains, the cross of Jesus Christ. And it tells a better story and it speaks and declares of God's Goodness, it speaks and declares of God's grace, it speaks and declares of God's faithfulness to you, and it speaks of God's faithfulness to me. It declares that Christ is our Redeemer. And this is the grace that Jesus offers. Not not that He is hiding from us like so many can believe or that we need to hide our guilt and shame because of the things that we've done and the sins that we've committed but rather of a God who is searching out you and He's searching out me and He's looking and He's lifting up different parts of our lives in search of you and in search of me. God who is looking not to judge but to put His covering over us so that we can share in the best story because He loves you and He loves this city and He loves this community and He loves the people of this area and He loves the people that you work, live and laugh with that He paid the price regardless of our sin that spoil us. And so I'm here this morning to tell you that God's got a better story. And that you that you aren't your past mistakes that I'm not my past mistakes that you aren't even your future mistakes that I'm not my future mistakes, that we aren't the sins that we've committed, that that we are forgiven, that we are set free, that we are made right through the blood of Jesus. So this morning, I wanna ask you the same question that God asks. That God, as He walked through the Garden of Eden, He simply says, where are you this morning? God, because of His love and His grace through His Holy Spirit this morning, simply wants to say, hey church, hey individual, where are you this morning? Not because He wants to jump on you because of the things that we've done. Because He wants to, He wants to... He wants to reorganize and and bring that commitment, that relationship back again that was so divided by our sin. So we ask the question, where are you this morning? But He doesn't ask it with a finger pointing, but with arms held out. You notice this is the picture of the cross. When Jesus hung, He did it with love in His heart. Hands open wide. Arms forced to be embraced physically, but spiritually, arms voluntarily held wide saying that anyone and everyone can come to me because I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking for you. And I want to re kick connect with you this morning. But sin gets in the way. So in a moment, we're going to take communion. But before we come to communion, I want to ask you a question. Where are you, where are you today? What hidden sin, what thing in your life is in the way between you and God? Maybe you're like me. Pornography was is your go-to. Maybe it's drinking, maybe it's whatever it might be for you. What is it this morning that you need to come before a holy God who's not holding His finger, shaking His hand at you, but He's going, I want to reconnect. This morning, what do you need to call out and confess in your heart to your loving God this morning? So before we get to this, Let's deal with this this morning. And as as the team comes up, as as Jesse plays, why don't you spend some time going, God, this is my junk. God, this is my sin. God, this is the shame and the guilt. God, this is the stuff that I've been wrestling with. And God, I can't seemingly let go of God. But this morning, I'm going to bring it to the light and allow you a loving Heavenly Father to begin to deal with it and take it and set me free from the shame and the guilt and set me free from the consequences Say, God. This is my stuff. I give you a few moments just to confess things to a Heavenly Father who deeply and desperately loves moments can feel the guilt and the shame as you bring, call to mind the things you've done But Jesus came to set you free to lift the burden, the weight off our shoulders because he died on the cross to carry every one of those things so as we do the awkward rip of communion together As we stop to remember Jesus' body, beaten, bruised, bloodied, torn, and sacrificed. Not because He did anything, but because I did. Let's eat with grateful hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for me, for us. Let's drink the juice together. Symbolizing the blood spill for us. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 says this The Lord said, It's not too late. You can still return to me with all of your hearts. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song called King of Kings. As we sing those lines, can I invite you? Let's not just go through Christian karaoke. think through the, the words that are going to be on the screen. The declare. See, in the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light. Till from heaven, you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word from the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. But before we sing those words, I've just got one question. You know, I shared at the start of this message that one of the things that God has done, which has exceeded everything that we could have possibly dreamed or imagined, But is yet still not finished. It's the salvation of Logan City, Redland City, and our globe. The story's still being written. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, you've heard me talking about it all this morning. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. And yet, because of God's love, He sent His Son to pay a price. So I want to ask a good question. We do this at Logan. We're gonna, I'm not going to get everyone to close your eyes because this is not an awkward moment. This is the best moment. This, all of this morning, all of the prayers going for all of this week have led up to this moment in the service. Where I'm going to say, you know what? If you need to know, say yes to Jesus for the first time. Then in a moment, I'm just going to invite you to shoot your hand up. See, right now you've got to realize that in heaven, God is preparing a party. And that in the book of James, it talks about that when one person says yes to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. And so we're not going to close our eyes because if this is something to be scared, and you know, what are people going to think? You've got to realize that every one of us is sitting here right now praying, God, let this be their moment. God, let this be their moment where they say yes to you. God, because I know the freedom and the release that's happened in my life and that is about to happen in your life. So this morning, will you do something courageous? Will you say yes to Jesus and you raise your hand on the count of three? If that's you, Shoot your hand up. No one's thinking any worse of you. In fact, the messed up thing is that we're all thinking better of you. One, Jesus died on the cross for you. Two, He did it because He loves you. Three, is that you this morning? Come on. Is this a decision you need to make? All of this has been put on just for you. Because Jesus so desperately loves you and we want to provide a connection point this morning do you need to say yes to Jesus to begin the best relationship you will ever have say to our church every Sunday it's okay but we'll be back doing the same thing next week same place same time God's not finished. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with our city. He's not finished with this church. Let me pray before we stand and sing these words together. God, we thank you that it's never too late. It's never too late for us to return to you. God, thank you for the irrational love, humanly speaking, that you offer to us but the totally rational love in your head towards us from you. God, we've all made mistakes and we can so easily let our guilt and shame stop us from encounter with you. So God, I pray this morning as we sing those words, as as we declare those words, God, do something in this moment. Allow Your Holy Spirit just to, to flow into our lives, to stir in our lives, to, to bring joy and life and vibrancy that we can have an assurance of our salvation. God, That we, we know, we know, we know that You are risen and we have come to declare that this morning. The good news is that You have a better story for us, for our city, Chosen to use us to declare it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey church, why don't we just stand this morning? You know what? Let's as I said before, let's not just do Christian karaoke. You know this part where we're thinking about lunch or picking up our kids or grabbing that coffee. But it's the moment where we go, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing these words, I'm gonna declare these words over me. God, I'm gonna. I am going to worship you because you are alone, are worthy of all praise. So let's sing this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.